the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It was a good year for jerks. If you're a regular listener to this show, you know that we give out a very special award here every Friday. And now, it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Well, you probably don't need to be a regular listener to the show to know that today is Thursday, but it's also my last day of the week, and I'm going to be off tomorrow and all next week. So this thing kind of snuck up on me. I was thinking about trying to pick a jerk of the year, but it's just too hard to pick, you know, an official one. I didn't have, I'm not going to lie and say I went through all of them, but I did spend some time looking over the list and without making it official, I think I'm going to settle on John Kerry, uh, for this year. Uh, he's probably the most nauseating politician in America for so many reasons, not the least of which is just the way he looks with his overly botoxed face and his officious condescending way of treating people, and he is Mr. Climate Hysteria. Now, maybe not just for the United States, but for the entire world. And I was doing my, as I was doing my research to maybe, you know, come up with a jerk of the year, I did come across him back in May talking about how farming is a big problem and that the geniuses who are protecting the planet from carbon emissions need to get farmers under control. And he showed up in Dubai a couple of weeks ago and gave another nauseating speech about how we are all doomed if we don't listen to him and start living our lives the way he wants us to live them. Of course, what he also adds to his jerkability is the fact that he's ridiculously rich, lives in really big houses, multiple houses, spends a lot of time on his fossil fuel-burning yacht during the summer, and he wouldn't dream of setting foot on a commercial flight. And I'm guessing he eats a lot of meat, too, but... Being a hypocrite might not have been enough to get him consideration for the unofficial jerk of the year because there's plenty of hypocrisy to go around. It's just that he's just, you know, one of those guys who doesn't need to express any strong opinions to get you to think he's a jerk. He just needs to show up and start talking. So it's unofficial, but John Kerry is the unofficial AM 1250 The Answer Jerk of the Year. And in our second half hour today, we're going to talk to Gregory Wrightstone, a geologist and author of An Inconvenient Warming, uh, and he'll have plenty of evidence to present on why John's a jerk and wrong about just about everything. And when we come back after this break, Nate Benefield from the Commonwealth Foundation, lots of people leaving Pennsylvania in large numbers. He's going to tell you uh, why when we uh, come back. Stick around. Well, you know, all it takes is a little snow around here, and you start hearing people talk about wanting to move to Florida or somewhere down south. It's the opposite for me, by the way. When we get a little, I start thinking about moving somewhere where they get a lot, like Wyoming maybe. But apparently a lot of people are finding reasons to leave Pennsylvania. Nate Benefield is the senior vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. He joins us now. Thanks for coming back on the show, Nate. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. So how many people have left 
Well, just uh, just this week, uh, new census data came out and uh, showed that Pennsylvania on, on net uh, last year lost 26,000 uh, people moving to other states. Uh, and uh, you can you look at the national trends and see, you know, there have been leading states like Pennsylvania, but also New, new York and, and California, uh, whereas states uh, like Florida and, and Texas and North Carolina have been the big big beneficiaries of that. And a lot of that um, is, is economic reasons for, for people moving. Yeah, what what are the why are they leaving? And when you say economics, what are we talking about? Yeah, well, we did you know uh, recent polling uh, backs up. I think you see the numbers: people are moving to lower lower tax, lower regulatory states. Uh, that was we did polling in, in Pennsylvania, uh, asking people. And one of the questions was: Are you, you know, looking to move? You know, people who are looking to move. Uh, and while a majority said uh, said no, uh, when you start looking at the younger ages and, and working age. Uh, voters, um, a majority or, you know, a plurality said they were indeed looking to move or considering moving and consider that, uh, and then pointed to the reasons, uh, and it was the lower cost of living, lower taxes, and, and better jobs and more opportunities that they were pointing to uh, of why they, why they might leave Pennsylvania. What would be considered younger people? Who, who would that be? Younger, you know, is basically the the 18 to 29 mm-hmm. uh, and the 30 to 44 demographics. Uh, so those yeah. age groups, uh, those are basically your, your working age adults. Um, you know, in, in terms of the, the seniors, they had less inclination to move. And you see that both in, in, in the numbers and, you know, I think people have heard about the aging population we have in Pennsylvania, one of yeah, the, yeah. the older states. Uh, and it's, it's been ranked well as one of the best states to retire in, uh, but it's not necessarily one of the best states to work in. I just don't. I don't spend a lot of time around people in that age group because I'm an old guy. But it would surprise me to to find out that people in that age group are really that well versed in the differences between taxes here in Pennsylvania and taxes in North Carolina or Florida or wherever they're moving to. Uh, how yeah, are they? I think they go. Go ahead. Yeah, they probably aren't comparing necessarily all the you know tax rates the same way you know an economist might, um, but I think they do look at at that you know the overall burden. I'm kind of see it in their bills, but it largely is seeing the opportunities that are there and knowing that hey you know I went to school in Pennsylvania. We have some of the best colleges in, in the country here in Pennsylvania, uh, but knowing all of the you know a lot of the students I went to school with have have moved to North Carolina, Virginia, Florida, Texas, have found jobs there. Um, they, they see that, and, and then they, they follow suit. And uh, a lot of people I talk to in the older generation, uh, one of their big concerns is their kids and, and grandkids are, are moving away. Uh, they might they might follow them because they want to be closer to, to their grandkids. It seems like they're going south. Uh, how much of a factor is the weather? Can't do anything uh, about that. Weather is, is a, yeah, certainly the weather is a factor that you know a lot of the, the destination states uh, have have warmer climates. Um, but you also look at California. Uh, being a state that has lost population the last few years uh, and, and is a big, uh, big loss in terms of out-migration of people fleeing California uh, to states like Florida and Texas. And, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom had his debate with Ron DeSantis and claimed, uh, you know, oh, California's a great place, but uh, even his own family is moving to, to Florida. Yeah. Uh, so you see that, you know, weather's not the only thing that's driving that. It is, uh, it is the policies of, of the states. I noticed in your report that, uh, Pennsylvania ranks in the top ten of states losing people. Yeah, it, it's been in the, in the top ten of people moving out of the state since 
fact, this, this new census is one of only, I think, eight states that actually lost residents overall in, in the last year. And I, it's still kind of strange to me that um, it, it seems that um, it's the red states are in the south and where the weather is good, uh, they also happen to have like no, whereas it's Texas doesn't have a state income tax, I don't think. Florida doesn't have one, I know that. Um, what is it about those states that why wouldn't they see what's happening uh, in Pennsylvania and other states that you mentioned, California included, it would seem if you if you've been able to find this out with a survey, and you and I are talking about it right here, it would seem like kind of an obvious thing, and it would seem like a an easy way to fix it. Yeah, it 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 does seem easy, and I think a couple of things. One is it takes politicians a lot longer to catch on to things that are that are obvious to, to you and I. Yeah. Um, I also think one of the factors you have is when you have a state uh, that is a higher tax state or you know, a city that is a higher tax city and, and people start leaving, um, some of the, the reactions like, oh, we've got to keep up these programs and these spending, uh, spending programs, uh, and it's to go the opposite direction and, and raise taxes on those who are left behind. And, uh. Uh, and the problem kind of exacerbates itself. And, uh, you know, Florida uh, has very low taxes, no income tax, uh, but also doesn't have the need to raise taxes because it has more people moving in and, and working jobs and, uh, and contributing to, to their economy and, and to their state revenues. So they're going to uh, the the people the politicians in Pennsylvania, they're so um, in in the habit of thinking that you way you attract people is offer them free stuff, and they don't seem to be catching on that they really don't want free stuff as much as they want to be left alone and keep more of what they earn. That's that's absolutely right, and and I think you also is you know it's with the politics politicians think of giving people stuff and and also who they hear from are the the groups the lobbyists who want uh, want more government spending want more government programs whereas the people who don't uh, just vote with their feet and and move to places where they can have uh, have more economic freedom and keep more of their their money aside from taxes uh, what makes the cost of living in pennsylvania so high well there is our, our regulatory burden uh, our red tape uh, in pennsylvania we, we did Recently, did an analysis of where one of the most regulated states in the country. Uh, and I think a, a great example of this, and you hear Governor Shapiro talk all the time about how they uh, fixed I-95 in, in 12 days. Uh, what they did was suspended all of the regulations that would normally uh, hold up that, that project. Um, but those those things are in place for all the businesses and the employers and uh, workers across, across the Commonwealth and drive up the cost of, of doing business. So who's electing all these Democrats who keep um, making sure that it's costs more to live here. Well, obviously that's you know the, the voters and uh, you know it's our, our job to help educate them on what you know what how politicians are are voting in Harrisburg and the things that are holding back our state's economy and uh, you know making us a, a an outbound state. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the concerns people have had is hey are all of the are all the conservatives moving to to red states and. Uh, you know, the people that, you know, are moving from New York and, and California, making other states you know, more liberal and bringing their liberal, liberal politics with them. Um, that's a concern of what people need to need to vote in the ballot box the same way they vote with their feet. Yeah, I wonder when they're going to start doing that. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Nate Benefield. He's the senior vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. Um, so what percentage of these people, do you know, uh, these young people especially, the people who are, 
either who you either have left or are talking about wishing they could leave. What percentage of those people actually voted for these Democrats and 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 voted? Period. Voted at all in the last uh, two elections? That's a, that's a good question. I didn't necessarily break down uh, that closely of yeah. uh, you know the voting of of uh, voting in the past election. Yeah. Uh, we do know that younger voters, younger people, tend to vote less mm-hmm. uh, less frequently than uh, than older uh, adults, and that's why politicians often cater to to senior citizens and older voters, knowing that that's who's going to turn out in, in the next uh, election. Um, I'd also note, John, that you know a lot of voters in the poll said that you know economic issues are the most important issues to them. And um, but one thing that I think you know, looking at the politicians, we don't see them campaign on the economy as much uh, as you might think, given voters say that inflation and the economy and jobs are the number one issue to to them. Uh, that uh, you don't see the politicians actually re- reflect that on the campaign trail. Yeah, it's strange and sad, actually. Now, uh, U.S. Steel isn't leaving. It's not leaving Pittsburgh. It's staying here, but it's being sold to a Japanese company. That's not something you uh, covered in your survey or your uh, fourth quarter um, report. But just from what you know and what you've seen of the situation, how much did taxes and regulations have to do with that? Maybe not necessarily state, but a combination of state and national. Yeah, I, I think probably less, you know, with the, the sale itself, but, you know, looking at that and how much, you know, U.S. steel has changed from, from their peak. And uh, I've seen stories that at their peak, they were employing 300,000, uh, some employees across the country, and now it's uh, down to uh, 12,000 or so. Um, that dramatic decline of what was once the largest company in, in the world uh, has been, uh, you know, a lot of that has had to do with the regulations, uh, both federal and state, uh, the tax burden, uh, and even the, the labor situation of, you know, being, you know, you've seen a lot of steel-type jobs and manufacturing jobs move to right-to-work states where uh, they don't have to deal with, with some of the union pressures that they have uh, in Pennsylvania and other forced unionism states. Yeah, so what is it that Nippon Steel, which is the company that's buying U.S. Uh, steel, I think that's the name of it, um, and not, that's just one example, but you mentioned that the um, right to wait, right to work uh, stage stuff like that. Um, what do companies find? Uh, how how relieved are they when they escape Pennsylvania and go to one of these states? What what, what makes them feel so good about being gone from here? Well, it is you know you have the um, less pressure of having to. to it's like deal and negotiate contracts with the unions, and I think that's happened to, in the steel sector and the automobile sector. The unions making huge demands that have driven up uh, driven up costs. Um, the regulatory burden uh, we talked about um, that a lot of times it's much easier to, to build a plant um, and much quicker. Uh, there's not as much wait time to get to get permits uh, to get approval from from the state and local government uh, in some of these uh, other states and, and jurisdictions, and that's why. Uh, Companies have looked to, to build to build elsewhere and uh, either pull out of Pennsylvania or, or not not do the expansions in Pennsylvania that you're seeing in uh, in a lot of other states. Again, uh, Nate, we're talking to Nate Benefield, senior vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. Again, <laughs> what you just said there seems like such an obvious thing to me that it, you don't you shouldn't have to be a genius if you're a politician, an elected official, to see that you could fix that. By making it, making 
Pennsylvania as attractive as these other states that people are being attracted to. Indeed, it is, and it is something that I think a lot of politicians they take up, take a long time to learn the lessons um, here. But uh, the lessons are pretty clear of where where are the jobs going, where are the business is going, where are the people going, uh, and we should copy those, those states. And uh, unfortunately, I hear a lot of our our politicians um, here in Pennsylvania saying we should imitate New York uh, or imitate California on some of their environmental regulations. Oh boy, um, that's that's crazy because that's where those mm-hmm. are the states that are in the biggest biggest decline in the states. Uh, that residents are, are fleeing in, in droves. Yeah, I, I got the feeling that the the people are getting what they vote for in many cases. They keep voting, they keep electing these people and then wondering why nothing changes. Uh, the Commonwealth Foundation does its common ground in the Commonwealth series. Uh, that's a survey uh, four times a year. I have a couple of minutes left here. What's the big news from the fourth quarter of this year? Well, the, the, the big news, uh, I think... Um, while economic issues have continued uh, to be the dominant, um, we've seen, and we did a poll on politicians, we've seen Governor Shapiro's approval uh, drop a little bit uh, since the, the first quarter. Uh, and people have generally said they like him and support him, uh, but they also can't name anything that he's really uh, accomplished as, as governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's something that's going to be uh, be borne out in, in the coming, coming quarters. He's still in the honeymoon phase, but uh, voters don't really see what he's accomplished as, as governor, and I think that's that's fairly accurate. And I also saw that 76, did I see it said 76% of the people in Pennsylvania think, I don't know if it's Pennsylvania or the national, uh, the federal government or the country is, is on the wrong track. Yeah, it's, it's a poll of Pennsylvanians, but it's of how what they feel the country's going. And now 76%. We're on the wrong track and getting worse. So how does, a, how does Joe Biden win in Pennsylvania if 76% of the people in the state think he's doing the wrong things he's on the he's on the wrong track or the country's on the wrong track well that's going to be a very interesting thing and, and you know one of the things that we actually asked voters on what they who they who they would vote for and who they would not vote for and uh, it's very i guess funny but also concerning that uh more than 40 percent of voters both said they would not vote for joe biden and they would not vote for donald trump who are the the two front runners who are they going to vote for me <laughs> well they're probably going to you know stay home or yeah what about Mr. Invisible, Bob Casey? He's coming up in November. Yeah, we did ask a question on that and did the first head-to-head, uh, and he was leading uh, Dave McCormick, who's the most likely going to be the Republican nominee there, mm-hmm. um, but was under 50% uh, in that, which is not necessarily great news for an incumbent, uh, with a whole lot of un- undecided remaining in that race. So that's obviously going to be a, a big, uh, big and expensive race coming up in, in 2024. If you are a Democrat and you looked at your research, should you be worried? I definitely think that Democrats should be worried about the state of the economy. And, uh, and you know, the, we use the phrase Bidenomics that the mm-hmm. White House had tried to use and I think was trying to get away from. Um, but the majority of voters said Bidenomics had made things worse here in Pennsylvania. So I think that uh, concerns anyone who's running uh, on the Democratic ticket with, with Joe Biden. There's a lot of good stuff in your survey there, uh, Nate. Where can people find it? Uh, you can go to our, our website. It's up on our front page at commonwealthfoundation.org. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hope to have you on again. Keep in touch. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. That's Nate Benefield, Senior Vice President of the Commonwealth Foundation. We'll be right back.
Well, the climate hysteria convention in Dubai wrapped up last week or the week before, whenever it was, was went on for a long time. For about two weeks, the world had to listen to pompous, uh, condescending creeps like John Kerry tell us that carbon emissions will destroy the planet if we don't listen to them. Gregory Wrightstone was not invited, I don't think, to be a keynote speaker there. He's a geologist, a Pittsburgh guy, and the author of a new book called A Very Inconvenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. And he joins us now. Greg, thanks for coming on. Oh, good for having me on. Uh, good to talk to another Pittsburgh guy, although I'm down in Arlington, Virginia right now. Yeah, I see that 412 area code, so you're still keeping that. I- just in case, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hard to lose my Pittsburgh roots, uh, despite what the Steelers are doing. Uh, I hear you. Would it be safe to say, though, uh, Greg, that the people in Dubai would have you burned at the stake for being a heretic if they could get away with it? Well, they're trying really hard. Uh, in fact, there have been calls for, for actually jailing of heretics like me. Uh, they call me a uh, science denier, mm-hmm. but as you know, you've got a copy of my book. I go yeah. into the an entire section on human history versus temperature history to find that warm periods throughout history, warmer than it is today, were hugely beneficial. So I would turn it around and, and call them history deniers, uh, because history tells us that it's just the opposite of what they're saying, that cold is horrifically bad over the past 5,000 years of human history, and very warm periods were historically just wonderful for humanity and great empires and civilization. So where are we on global warming and climate change? Because you mentioned warming and cooling. They seem to pick whichever we happen to be experiencing at the moment as a sign that climate change is upon us, and it's all created by humans. Well, climate change is upon us. The only thing surprising would be if it isn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you look through, again, as I do as a geologist, thousands and millions of years of data, particularly thousands, we find temperature goes up and down and up and down quite uh, significantly and regularly. Uh, And and what they're telling us is they're warning us we can't allow temperatures to rise uh, more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above the the previous temperature from before the Industrial Revolution. Well, guess what? It's already raised, increased 1.2 degrees. And that, so what they're actually warning us about is a three-tenths of a degree Celsius rise in temperature. And if we go above that, all heck's going to break loose. And actually, so three-tenths of a degree Celsius equals half a degree Fahrenheit. John, if your temperature in your studio went up or down half a degree, right now, you couldn't notice it. Your thermostat wouldn't be triggered on or off. And if you're that much worried about a half a degree uh, Fahrenheit change in in temperature, move from Pittsburgh to Zeelianople. Go 19 (laughs) miles north and and you'll experience half a degree of cooling as an average. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's yeah, but, what they're they're talking about. Yeah, but Greg, these people are are scientists with credentials, and if they say to someone who has no knowledge, or at least doesn't think they have any knowledge of climate, and is not a, do, are not good at science, if you see somebody with a big title and uh, looking very officious, even somebody as nauseating as as John Kerry. 
you think, well, boy, they, they know more than I do, and that 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius, that must they know what they're talking about. So well, they, they know, uh, how many people are going to spend the time uh, researching and understanding what you just explained? Well, they don't have to. They just need to buy either my first book, which you've got, <laughs> Inconvenient Facts, or my new book, A yep. Very Convenient Warming. That's Let me right. tell you what, Sean, this is, I'll share this with you. We had a, our annual all-members meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 150 of the top experts in the world. And i tell you what we had. We had 65 top scientists on the Zoom meeting yesterday, including Dr. John Clauser, the current Nobel laureate in physics, four members of the National Academies of Scientists, emeritus professors from MIT, Princeton, uh, astrophysicists, uh, PhD chemists. We, this uh, 65 people were on there. It was amazing the amount of knowledge and expertise we had on this call. And all of them believe, as I do, is that more CO2 is a benefit to humanity and that warming is a huge, both the two combined are a huge positive. And the, and the greatest uh, look at what's actually happening is this benefits we're, are the benefits we're seeing from increasing food productivity, agricultural productivity. Uh, in the book, I capture the top eight agricultural products in the world by tonnage, and all eight are breaking records year after year after year after year in spite of – now, we, yes, we're in a warming trend. Yes, CO2 is increasing, but agricultural productivity is going through the roof because of warming means there's longer growing seasons. Since 1900, John, the growing season in the lower 48 United States has increased more than two weeks. What's that mean? You get more plantings, mm-hmm. killing frosts. Stop early in the spring, arrive later in the fall. Uh, you've got we've got fruit orchards just north of Pittsburgh and around Pittsburgh. Uh, what if you if you've got a fruit orchard? What do you fear the most? It's a late spring frost, the killing frost. Yeah, and because of warming, uh, we see many many fewer of those. Uh, and then CO two is just turbocharging uh, crop growth, and so those two combined and increasing. Nitrogen fertilizer that's generated from fossil fuels, uh, those three things combined are, are feeding the planet, and we should celebrate that. Yeah, when you said we, talking about the meeting you had, you're talking about the CO2 coalition for which you are the executive director, correct? Yes, yes, the CO2 coalition. That, uh, CO2coalition.org is the, is the um, website there, and it's uh, I'm just so proud uh, to, to lead this group, we've just uh, we, we've seen explosive growth, John, uh, at this group, the CO2 Coalition. When I joined them, we had two employees. Today, I got another fellow coming on uh, in two weeks. That'll bring up from two to ten employees, and because of that, we're able to our outreach has expanded. We're able to do, publish more publications. Uh, and, and on that call, Zoom call yesterday, we had eight countries represented from Paraguay to Korea to India. Uh, so we've got scientists all over the world that believe as, as I do. Well, how can scientists be so diametrically opposed on something like this? Either CO2 yeah. is great for us or it's killing us. Uh, and that's a yeah, pretty that's big, a, that's a pretty big um, dichotomy there. Major di- and does the fact that they're ma- they are make it easier for one side, and the fact that there is that disagreement, does that make it easier for one side to, to accuse the other of lying or being insane? Oh, sure. I, we're silenced regularly. I'm silenced regularly. 
Uh, and you, that's just all you have to do is look at my LinkedIn feed. I was, I posted, I, I'm a scientist. I posted scientific information on LinkedIn just system every a period of time of, uh, back in October a year ago. Uh, they just started removing almost everything I posted. They called it false and misleading. My very last post on LinkedIn, you'll find this is actually pretty funny, is that I said, I think I'm about to be deplatformed by LinkedIn. They removed that post, called it false and misleading, and then permanently banned and deplatformed me. <laughs> and you don't know whether to you don't know whether to laugh or cry. Well, I'm but, sorry uh, I laughed. But that's how, a... <laughs> you know, I, I, it's kind of funny to have that that post be the one that they called false and misleading. But but you know we face this all the time. Uh, we had one of our supporters uh, talked over in the Delmarva Peninsula last night of, of Maryland. Uh, and it was, I mean, the, the three state representatives had their piece. And when he started talking, they all got up and walked out. And this is what they do. Uh, they, they restrict us. But we're, we're moving forward. We've got a Pennsylvania-focused uh, paper we put out last year on Pennsylvania and the regional greenhouse gas initiative. And uh, we're doing this for various states and regions right now. Uh, we're working in Arkansas, Montana, Wyoming, and Arizona. Uh, to, so we can look at what, what, what's actually going on. And we've got Virginia completed. What's actually going on in my home state? And, and you can look and see that uh, for all these states we look at, and Pennsylvania included, heat waves peaked in the 20s and 30s. Uh, and if you look at the fire data, you may not be aware of it, Fire was a huge, wildfires were a huge problem in Pennsylvania. Uh, just look around at all the fire towers that are scattered around. You go up to North Park. You've seen the fire tower yeah. up in the middle of North Park on top of the hill. Well, why did they put that? Because back in the 30s and 20s, wildfires were running rampant in Pennsylvania, in Allegheny County. And the reason that fire tower there, there was a reason it's there. Uh, we don't have that anymore. And uh, it's things like that you can point to. Uh, we know that wildfires in global decline in the United States uh, fire data shows us that uh, current fires, both area burned and the number of fires, are are 20 percent of what they were 90 years ago. Uh, but they don't want you to know that they need to silence us. And, and why are they doing it? Um, I, I can't in, see inside men's and women's souls to see their motivation, but I can tell you they're doing it. I can say, OK, this is what they're saying. And here's what the facts are. Well, uh, and I capture several of these in, my, in uh, a very convenient warming. I, I can see, and we're talking to Gregory Wrightstone. The book is a very convenient warming, how modest warming and more CO2 are, be, are benefiting humanity. I can see, um, I guess, I can understand a scientist believing what they believe, whether they're misguided or not, and having a debate about that. Um, but... It's someone like John Kerry. I, I understand his motivation. I, I just I'm so suspect of his motivation. I, I can't think of any other reason than his just looking for more power would be the only reason okay. for him to do this. But that explains John Kerry. But what explains these the scientists who he is constantly referring to and the and the and scientists who love him? What explains well, we their motivation? We- uh, I, I can't, again, I can't, I don't yeah. know. I can't say what their motivations are, but I can't say uh, that their funding would completely dry up if they dared to pre- present uh, factual matters. They, there are a lot of studies that are done that 
Uh, if you look at deep into the data, they don't support this uh, glo- global climate alarmism claim, but they always have to put wording in the beginning in the abstract about you know climate change and global warming is occurring. Uh, but their 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 funding would dry up. In fact, there are very few people that are brave enough, and I just hired one, uh, Dr. Byron Sapoyan, who was a PhD in chemical engineering. Um, he, he did carbon capture and sequestration, one of the top experts in the world, wrote papers, traveled to conferences, and he read our paper. It was called Challenging Net Zero, and it opened his eyes. And he contacted me, and he says, he, we learned, he learned more. He says, I want to come work for you. I can't do this anymore. And I said, I put him on part-time. I said, yeah, I didn't want to put him on full. And then a few weeks later, he called me back. He says, Greg, I can go full-time. Uh, I quit my job. He quit a full-time job promoting carbon capture and sequestration. And because he, he was, he found out he was working for Emperor Palpatine and he wanted to come work, work for Luke Skywalker. And so I, he's our full-time employee now, uh, research and science associate. But there are very few people that are brave enough to do what he did, uh, to go, give up that funding, to give up the, uh, their peers would, would shun them if they did this. And we've seen it occurring time and time again. Again, though, uh, Dr. why wouldn't the funding be there for people with an optimistic look at this uh, as opposed to funding doom and gloom? What makes, well, what makes at, the doom and gloom attractive to the funders? Well, the, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars from Forbes, uh, from the Rockefeller Foundation, from many of these large uh, foundations that have gone completely woke, they're, they're funding a lot of this climate alarm. Uh, we think that I've seen estimates that we're, we, the climate realists, mm-hmm. are being outspent anywhere from 300 to 500 to 1 in, in terms of, uh, of funding that's, that's going there. We're always told, well, you're, you're fossil fuel shills. Well, no, I don't know. I, we don't get fossil fuel money. I'm, I'm sure individuals that work in the energy business might uh, provide money to us. But, John, we just looked at it. Nine, more, 99.9% of our donors are small individual donors. And so, and I'm proud of that. We're not, we're not taking huge handouts uh, from energy companies, from fossil fuel companies. Uh, we're just not. Uh, and it's, it's the everyday Joe and Jane on the street that are helping to allow me to get the, up to these 10 employees. We're hired. I need to hire a couple more. Uh, Cause we want, it's, this is my mission, John, my, my wife kids me. She says, Greg, I, I think this was why you were put on this earth to, to do this mission. And uh, it's the mission of all of us. And I, I'm just, again, uh, we're being very effective and uh, we're going to be going, we'll be traveling actually around the world. Our chairman just got back from Paraguay. Uh, they were trying to get rid of uh, and kill their agricultural system. They were going to kill cows. They were going to kill nitrogen fertilizer in Paraguay, which would absolutely cripple their agriculture-based economy. He went down there and spoke all around the country. Uh, and in COP28, uh, three weeks ago, Paraguay voted against uh, this net zero initiative. Good. He just got back from 10 days in Australia doing the same thing. I got, so less, I, I got less than a minute left. I have my last question for you. Uh, Gregory Wrightstone, a very convenient warming. Uh, what would have happened to the planet Earth if fossil fuels had never been introduced? That's for you, the uh, geologist. <laughs> well, I hope you live like living in a log cabin and uh, cooking over a spit 
and uh, it would be horrific. Yeah, but what, uh, I guess be, what I'm saying is that the the health of the planet. Forget well, the, the living the living living conditions would be obviously terrible. Well, but, yeah, in terms of CO2, CO2 yeah. is being liberated by fossil fuels, which is uh, fueling plant growth and the greening of the earth. And before I go, one of the the book itself, the new book, is only available today at convenientwarming.com. Convenientwarming.com. It will be up on Amazon uh, after the first of the year. Uh, but again, it's convenientwarming.com. If you if you want to get a purchase a copy now. Well, I hope everybody does. Good Christmas present, and thanks for coming on. And Merry Christmas, Greg. Back at you, John. Okay. Thank you. That's Gregory Wrightstone. The book is A Very Convenient Warming. I'll be right back. Well, for me, um, I'm coming to an end of a year here. It's only, uh, what, December 21st, but um, this is my last day of uh, 2023. I'll be back uh, Tuesday after New Year's, which is... What's that? I'm like I, I, can, I got like 11 days off coming up here. I don't know how to act. So I guess I should say something about the year that we had, um, not just on the radio here. I had fun on the radio. I've been having fun doing this now for over five years. It's hard to believe I've been here that long. Uh, it's also hard to believe how old I actually am, but that's another story. But um, I, I'm just trying to think of what the what the big story is, and maybe not for everybody or as far as the big story and in terms of importance and what it means to the planet. But I, and I, I don't know, I haven't done any scientific research on it or looked back at what we talked about most here, but I just have a feeling that if I did, I'd find out that the transgender issue is probably, and I I wouldn't say it's by a large margin, but I, I would say that the transgender issue is, might be the thing we talked about more than anything else. We talk about a lot of things, and if, if if I am right about that, it would be by a few percentage points. But, and I don't think it's, I don't think that's going to change, and I don't apologize for it because I don't just look at that issue as in in a vacuum. I don't look at that as just the issue of men or males playing against females in sports, which is unbelievably stupid and uh, dangerous and all kinds of other things. But that issue, to me, is really, really important because of what it says about where we are. It's there. Are, you just heard Gregory Wrightstone talking about just trying to get people to even debate him about whether or not having a gas stove is going to cause the end of the planet as we know it. Just the idea that for 0.04% of the population, kids in school are having to mess around with pronouns and 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 all the things that, that that um, the way that's just infected everything, this whole transgender issue, for 0.04% of the population, and I don't see it getting any better. I, I, I don't think it's getting any worse for people who are on my side of it, who think it's absolutely insane, but the Democrats and liberals, they are doubling down on this. It's it's just not going to go away. And so I think that I, I I just think it's it's it says so much about where we are right now in the world, where people can say to you, men can get pregnant. 
And if you disagree, then you get in trouble. We we had this the uh, the story a couple of weeks ago. The kid in Seattle took a test, and he he wrote false for that question. Men can get pregnant. False. He got he flunked. This is two weeks ago. So it's not going away. It's going to get worse. And I just think that it's still it's something to watch because until there's some sanity brought to bear on that situation, there's not much hope for anything else because nothing in my lifetime is more stupid than having someone tell me that men can get pregnant and there are people out there saying it with a straight face. And I have no confidence whatsoever that it's going to be any different in 2020, what's coming up, 2024. So that's it for me. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Talk to you in 2024. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.